I'm Charles. I'm Christine. And, and we, we eat stuff. Hi, everyone. This is a podcast. We eat stuff and talk about things. My name is Christine Guthrie, and I am one half of We Eat Stuff. In this podcast, we are seeking out people in St. Louis related to food, cooking, drinking, and eating. Today, we're welcoming Stephen and Sarah Hale. Stephen is one of the founding brewers of Schlafly Beer, and Sarah is from Fair Shares CSA. We are diving deep into the history of Schlafly Beer, breweries in general, and beer. One of the really fascinating bits of information Stephen shared with us is that when Schlafly opened, there were only about 300 breweries in the U.S. in the year 1991. The only other breweries in Missouri at the time were Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis, of course, and Boulevard in Kansas City. Now, Schlafly can be found in multiple states in the U.S., and they always put on fun and entertaining events all year round. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy our conversation with Stephen and Sarah. Hi, you guys. Hi, Nick. It's recording. Hello. It is recording. Well, it has been recording. So. Oh, my goodness. I take back. I, nothing I said was true. No. Okay. But we're doing this now. How Excellent. are you guys? Doing well. How are you? We're doing pretty good. good. Yeah. Hanging in there. Thanks Excellent. for coming over today. Thanks for uh, having us. And thanks for having us into your home, too. Appreciate it. Nice. Yes. Uh, tell us about this, this chock-full cooler that you have for us. Well, I thought it might be a good idea to bring some of my wares. By no means is it a perfect cross-cut of everything that Schlafly does. But uh, I thought I'd bring a variety, depending on what we wanted to taste. Mm-hmm. There's no requirement that uh, that this all be consumed today. In fact, I think that would be pretty impossible after yeah. Soulard Oktoberfest. And I did the coin toss at uh, at the soccer game last night, oh, which ended cool. in a tie, which means they're going on to the playoffs, which is great. Mm-hmm. It was a ton of fun to be out there. Nice. Um, so I just brought a variety of things. Cool. And uh, I think the one I'm most interested in is probably where is it the local oak if oh. you like sours oh, if not, oh christine loves sours yeah yep. nice. um so there's a huge variety here i, I didn't bring just mm. one and uh perfect and none of them are coming home with me so oh wow huh? there well, you thanks. Are. all right there thanks. We go. so i would say oh, do we need a thingy no you want to take a photo oh of course yes <laughs> okay that's why i'm setting them up oh, so got a few more coming here oh yeah so i think these Four are in our uh, bonfire box uh-huh. variety pack. Nice. We saw that at Ollie's, actually. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes we shop cheaply. Uh, why not? There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yep. House Brown and... Okay, not the pumpkin's not in there, but anyway, there's Beautiful. variety here. Oh, she would to focus on words here. Beautiful. Thank you. Oh. All right, I'll, I'll yeah. choose carefully then. Uh, all right, I will be musing over this. Will you guys please tell everyone who are you? My name is Stephen Hale. I am a brewer at Schlafly Beer. My business card says founding brewer because I have been there since the beginning in um, October of 1991. I moved out uh, to St. Louis from Maine in October. In fact, 
what's today, the 14th of October? Mm -hmm. In three days will mark 27 years that I've been in St. Louis, no? to the best of my yeah. recollection. Mm -hmm. That was about two months before Schlafly opened the tap room in uh, December 91. And the co-founder, Dan Kopman, was a college classmate who was a fellow home brewer at Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. Gambier, Ohio, I like mm. the name mm -hmm. of that little village. <laughs> uh, it was a great college, we had a good time, and a few years after graduation, he called up to invite me out to be the assistant brewer at Schlafly in St. Louis. Cool. So I moved outside on Sandy. Where's Gambier? About an hour north of Columbus. Okay, yeah, my uh, my uh, parents are from around Beaver Creek. Where's Beaver Creek? Uh, it's it's Columbus, but more to the west. Okay. Like, about an hour west from Columbus. Okay, so, so about two hours apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Roughly. Yeah. Cool. Buckeyes. Yeah, Buckeyes. Yep. Yeah, I grew up in uh, this area, so. Okay. So I'm not big. I love eating the chocolate Buckeyes. They're the peanut <laughs> butter chocolate Buckeyes. Those are delicious. I'm a fan of chestnuts, too, so when we can get them. That's what they're called? Call them chestnuts? Maybe not the Buckeye in particular, but... They're in the chestnut family, mm. I think. I'm not the food expert. You'll have to ask my wife, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On some occasion. So, so well, speaking of which. Chestnuts are coming in next week. So. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Boom. Okay. So, I'm Sarah Hale, and uh, Stephen and I got married 20 years ago next <laughs> summer, and he poured me my first Schlafly beer at the tap room <laughs> right the night they opened. And, uh, I started working there, and I worked there for 16 years, and about 10 years ago, I quit working there and opened my own business with my sister called Fair Shares, mm -hmm. and we sourced local food. We had been involved, Stephen and I had been involved with Slow Food, the international organization that was kind of in uh, opposition to McDonald's opening at, in Rome, mm -hmm. and that's where that started. So, we were involved with slow food, and it got me way more interested in the whole local food scene. So I split from the beer scene, and now we have both our beer and food covered. Yeah. Very good. Um, gosh, I we could go so many directions <laughs> and where to talk with you guys, because Schlafly is uh, like St. Louis namesake. Besides yeah. that, that other big one that's not quite so local anymore, this was one of the first... Uh, small breweries in St. Louis, correct? It is, and to give you a sense of the scale of numbers, there are currently, I believe, on towards 7,000 breweries in this country. It could be 6,700, working towards 6,800. Mm -hmm. There are slightly more closings now, but the rate of openings is still much higher than closings. So there are nearly 7,000 breweries in this country now. When we opened in December of 91, there were 312 wow. in the country. Mm -hmm. There were two other breweries in the state, AB and St. Louis, and Boulevard in Kansas City, who had opened two years prior to us, there were pretty much no, the next closest brewery would have been Goose Island in Chicago, or uh, I don't think there were any much closer than Kansas City. And it was three and a half years before another local brewery, and by local, I mean local craft, opened near us that stayed open. There was uh, Wolfgang's opened in O'Fallon, Illinois, mm. and then it closed, and then it opened as, reopened as J.D. Nick's, and then it closed. So they currently don't count, but they were there. Uh, Trailhead opened in the spring of 95, and Morgan Street opened in September of 95. So it was about three and a half years that we were the only small, craft wasn't the term then, it was micro brew pubs and microbreweries. And, uh, and it took a while. We were kind of lonely when we traveled. We always sought out other breweries in other areas to see what they were brewing. And uh, the internet was unknown to most people <laughs> when the taproom opened. 
So mm-hmm. the scale of things has really changed a lot mm-hmm. with social media and iPhones and and in the whole world. We barely had we did not have a computer in the brew house when mm-hmm. we opened. It was all paper. We still have wow. some of those original log forms on, written on paper. Wow. It was one computer for the company upstairs, a Big Mac, and it took almost a year for the next brewery to be purchased mm-hmm. uh, for finance stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those were uh, I wouldn't call them dark days. I would call them fun, different, exciting mm-hmm. times. And uh, a lot of Tom Schlafly and Dan Cotman's friends thought they were a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy to do this in the shadow of the eagle, if you will, for <laughs> for people not from St. Louis. That's mm-hmm. a reference to the uh, um, Anheuser Busch, their mm-hmm. eagle logo. Mm-hmm. So things have changed over time. We didn't bottle beer. We just had the tap room. We just had the one dining room side, not the other half of the building. I could elaborate on lots of stories about that. It was about. 11 years prior, 11 or 12 years prior, that um, Snake Plissken, Kurt Russell, walked down the alleyway and across the front of the building on his way to a pivotal scene in the movie Escape from New York. And to anyone, to uh, to both of the listeners out there, no, you guys have lots of listeners. Uh, anyone listening, if you haven't seen Escape from New York, the whole movie was filmed in St. Louis. Yeah, because downtown bridge, West looked like a war zone at the time. It totally <laughs> did. And I, when I moved here in 91, I looked around and I thought, I've got all my worldly possessions in this truck. I have to unpack immediately and <laughs> secure them in the building somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was different, and it's all a whole lot of that Locust Street area mm-hmm. has been redeveloped, and mm-hmm. others felt uh, comfortable moving in because Tom and Dan redeveloped the uh, historic Swift Printing Company mm-hmm. at 21st and Locust. Mm-hmm. So well, the scene was very different then. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just the brew pub, no bottles. We didn't have any draft accounts. It was almost two years before we got our first draft accounts, which were Blueberry Hill, Cardwell's on the Plaza, followed by mm. Trainwreck Westport. Just, oh, wow. I'm sorry, Trainwreck Rock Hill. Mm, yeah. That was definitely the third one, and I don't know who actually uh, was the first to uh, tap a keg and sell the first pint, but I give credit to both Cardwell's on the Plaza and uh, and Blueberry Hill wow. for the first draft accounts. Wow. And it was draft for three years before we had bottles. <laughs> I'm not trying to race through the whole timeline. Sure. I'm sort of giving overview perspective we put beer in bottles in the summer of 1996 (laughs) and those were brewed at one of the most beautiful breweries in the country possibly the world called August Shell in New Ulm Minnesota you drive through this (laughs) snaky windy uh, road through the woods to get to this beautiful iconic old brewery on this hillside and it's it's old and they've done well They've, they've revitalized and they've joined the craft revolution and it's really, uh, really cool. But they, we were bottling with them for uh, seven years before we opened the Schlafly Bottle Works in 03. And they were kind of done with us because they had taken on uh, a new uh, brewery label and they needed all their capacity and didn't have room for us. So our separation from them happened at a good time so that we could get the capacity going at the uh, Bottle Works. And then opened the restaurant in 2004 and that's almost the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Have so much more to talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of which, we have these fine beers here. Oh, yes. Do we need a... Are they all screw-offs like me? Or are they actually need mm-hmm. pop-ins? That's fine. That was a good reference. We Thank can you. use uh, <laughs> We can use this, or I'm going to stand up. The listeners can't uh, can't see it, but I got this at a beer oh, festival. Oh, wow. It's a belt buckle bottle opener, and it's actually highly functional. It's a really good opener. Huh. Nice. Cool. I think we'll use the keychain. I'd be too afraid of it fizzing up and spraying all over my... On two occasions that happened. Usually it's after a beer festival and that was done by somebody else <laughs> um, who was also in this room. And without, without practicing, I knew the kit was going in the uh, 
in the laundry anyway um, after a beer festival. So, hmm. Wow. I do like your utilicult. Thank yes. you. I just try to blend in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started wearing this about, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. My brother was wearing one. I thought they were cool. I, this led to that. Somebody else made a reference to it, and I thought, well, maybe I should get one. Mm-hmm. So I ordered one, wore it to a beer festival. People stared at me, never seen anything like it. And uh, and now, I, I, I a couple of years ago, I tried to stop wearing it, and people mm-hmm. look at me like, Stephen, I don't recognize you. Uh, <laughs> when they say I don't recognize you wearing pants, I think they mean I recognize you only wearing a kilt. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's nice. been... Uh, been kind Good. of funny. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, we got to open something here. Yes. Sarah? I've chosen the proper cider, Schleifley Raspberry. I chose the House Brown Ale. Lovely. We are having a gaze at the other uh, selection here. Uh, about a dozen different beers out of the 60 or 70 we uh, brew for the course of the year. Um, probably not the pumpkin, even though it's... Uh, has been voted one of the best pumpkins in the uh, in the country. Yeah. Um, by the rest of the world, um, I might drink a six pack or two through the uh, course of the season. Yeah. And it's a great cooking beer, and it's a great beer to uh, pair with Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners ah. too. So, but don't wait for it. Get it now. Yeah. Only limited quantities, yes. folks. Limited yeah. quantities. Get it now. Yeah. Operators are waiting by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Standing by. Yes. Standing by. Oh, mess it up. Mm. Any rate, but yeah, I mean, uh, one of my favorites back in the day was actually the coffee stout. You mm-hmm. see that all the time. Like, it was right back in the day, it was like Blue Moon, um, you know, Schlafly, oh, sorry, Schlafly, um, Goose Island, and uh, Boulevard, you know, Unfiltered Wheat Ale, is what I used to get all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to get to Goose Island 212, I think, where is it? 312. Thank you, that's right, 212 yep. is Manhattan, that's right, 312, Chicago. But yeah, but um, I spent some time in Chicago, so like, uh, that's how I got to turn on that stuff. But yeah, the, then all of a sudden that was all these other beers. And it's just amazing. And the, yeah. the culture around it. The, uh, the selection nowadays is, uh, is pretty extensive. Save some for you guys too. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. What were you doing in Maine when uh, your friend coerced you down here? Oh, I sort of skipped over that uh, early life history. <laughs> I, I, I tell people I'm from New England because I was... Born in Massachusetts, I went to prep school in Connecticut. I spent summers in July at grandmother's house in New Hampshire and August in Maine at a shared family summer home on an island up mid-coast Maine. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I could, I moved back to Maine after college and I got a job teaching school, English and Latin, for two Mm -hmm. years. It was not the most lucrative job I've ever had. So I pursued other interests, um, including a little bit of my chimney sweeping background, which I had started during a year off. I took a year off between freshman and sophomore years in college and um, started a chimney sweeping company. That was pretty lucrative. So there was mm-hmm. decent money in that. Yeah, because no one would want to do it. So. No one really <laughs> wants to do it. It's like, and I was probably undercharging people, but mm. it kept me busy and it kept me, I could eat and drink as much as I wanted to because lugging ladders and vacuums and brushes around was a very physical job. But that wasn't forever. So that was a year off and then mm. dabbled in it a little after that. And then after teaching school, a friend of mine started a uh, sea urchin company, which means buying a lobster boat and hiring some uh, friends. I've known this guy my entire life from the island up in Maine. And he, uh, he knew, he saw what was happening in the sushi world. Hmm. So he bought a lobster boat, he bought the gear, and we all bought, we all took training to, to uh, be certified scuba divers. 
bought dry suits and all the, all the equipment and in September or October set out to jump off lobster boats in Maine in the winter to harvest sea urchins for the sushi industry. Wow. wow. And it was decent money and after four years of that, I kind of got tired of jumping off a lobster boat in Maine in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the offer came from Dan to move to St. Louis. So um, I stopped the urchin diving, but it was becoming incredibly profitable for the divers. They made tons of money. But now, guess how many urchins there are in Maine? Pretty much none. Mm-hmm. Wiped them out. No self-regulation, not enough Not enough uh, self or state regulation to to make it a viable industry. Wow. So I didn't know they had sea urchins there. That was mm-hmm. pretty like other countries that have those they're in the caribbean but those aren't the ones that land on the menus i think uh parts of russia and other northern latitudes mm. uh grow the uh little it's about as big as your fist little green spines look like a little green pin cushion uh, full of green pins um, sounds tasty the type we uh we harvested were strongolo kentrotis drobachiensis I forced myself, having taught and studied Latin, yeah, exactly. forced myself. That's a, that's that a Latin mean? word. That Somebody said, what's this mean in Latin? So I look it up. I'm like, well, there you go. Strongolocentrotus drobachiensis. I don't know what it means. Oh, okay. It means sea urchin. <laughs> it means green main sea urchin. Gotcha, gotcha. Cheers. Oh, oh, cheer. oh yes, salute, yes, definitely. Yes, salute. Salute. Thanks salute. for coming. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. You're welcome. Now, the gooey duck here, that's still going uh, well. You ever have gooey duck or seen one? Like a live one? We uh, we have seen one and uh, <laughs> had a pretty funny story about it because on the outward appearance, for those listening who don't know what a gooey duck is, it's spelled G-E-O, duck. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're familiar with them. Um, it looks, for someone like me growing up in the coast of Maine, it looks identical to the softshell clam, otherwise known as the sand clam or steamers. If you go into a, any uh, seafood shop in the coast of Maine, you ask, use any of those names, and they'll sell you clams, cooked or raw. We usually take them home raw, soak them, steam them. It's an amazing experience. But a gooey duck is a, what is it, this big? Mm-hmm. Right about, so, yeah, yeah. Almost, not quite a foot long, mm-hmm. but when the neck comes out, it's probably a foot and a half or two feet long. Mm-hmm. So a gooey duck looks just like a main steamer. And as a joke, some friends from the West Coast, where the gooey ducks are harvested, sent some to friends in Maine. And he took it, and he told some other friends he had just harvested it, and everyone went wild. Like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. Where'd you get it? He told them the clam flats where he got it, because it looks just like the softshell mm-hmm. clam. And uh, then the warden got involved. He said, that's a closed flat. You can't be harvesting there. You're going to be fine, which prompted my uh, lobsterman friend, whose name is Bimbo Carter, and he's one of the oyster shuckers who comes out to the Schlafly Staten mm-hmm. Oyster Festival every year. He's the... He's the only one who's been to all of them. So the original shucker. Hmm. So he had to confess to the warden, who thought it was a pretty good pe- practical joke. Did not find him, but uh, hmm. kind of the story made it into the paper. Wow! It took a, a little big pen, just a regular big pen, and put it next to it to show people monster clam <laughs> harvested in Bremen. It's a really <laughs> funny story. So, so you bring up gooey ducks because of we eat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And like, um, you know, it's a delicacy in some places, but it's actually we're trying to sort of uh, segue into like, why is, what's with the uh, the shuck fest you guys have? What's the uh, whole impetus behind that? Um, it goes back to, uh, I give Dan Coppin a lot of credit for many of the um, ideas at the, uh, at the brewery over the years. He's not with us anymore. He's moved on to other pursuits, but um, he had seen the festival happen elsewhere and he thought, we can do it even if we're in St. Louis. 
-hmm. And you can get great seafood worldwide because mm -hmm. of these things called airplanes yes. and refrigeration and, <laughs> and ice packs like I brought in the, uh, in the cooler to bring these beers over. So uh, it was just an idea to have the Stout and Oyster Festival and a lot of people showed up and we were running out so we had to make quickly call everybody around like buy up all the oysters so we got enough oysters and it was we'll be celebrating our 20th year of it wow. next year and it's a really well-run festival the crew that does it now the people who have had the ideas about making it bigger you've been to it we have. okay yes. good just by reference we have you eat stuff i want to make sure you've been to that festival. oh yeah we have it was voted one of the best that food festivals in the united states in 2017 or something it's it's got a lot of accolades and it's a ton of fun it's not just oysters but it's mostly oysters mm -hmm. and the stouts so the brewing team gets together and comes up with a whole bunch of different stouts and brews up a bunch of different batches and the pilot batch at uh, the bottle works a 20 gallon system we have it's uh it's really exciting so the stout it'll be the 20th annual stout and oyster festival okay quick math end of march is when it usually takes place uh, we have just passed the six-month mark. Yay, we're closing in on, now it's uh, under half a year until yep. we get to the next one. That's right. Good. Since we're yeah, in yeah. October, so uh, now uh, in a few weeks, it'll be five months away, mm -hmm. yes. which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other events that you guys have thrown at Schlafly? I'd say the uh, next biggest one is certainly Hop in the City in mm -hmm. September, and that was just earlier in September yeah about a month ago yep. mid-September that was the 20th annual and that started as a uh, way of sharing with people who couldn't if people visited St. Louis at different times of the year they couldn't try our seasonals at other times of the year so if we saved a keg or two of every beer we brewed starting in September all the way through September then we could tap them all at once and it was on the street we had five tents and probably 25 or 30 beers or so, and it was successful, so we did it again. Um, the real key to uh, most of the success of most events is, from my perspective, beer, food, uh, music, gotta have good bands, good music there, and some sort of shtick, like what is it about it that makes it what it is, and Hop in the City has evolved into a lot more, but really it's um, all the beer from one brewery. Uh, we would have festivals with other breweries, we just kinda got stuck doing this one, and there weren't other breweries around and the abundance there are now so people want to see that festival continue and rather than change its core philosophy we keep going with the 40 or 45 different Schlafly beers we have now and basically it's a big party on the parking lot in September mm -hmm. usually not always but usually beautiful mm -hmm. weather um, mm -hmm. so that's the the shtick that makes that one work um, cabin fever in January in bottle works coming up mm -hmm. in uh, January takes strong basically it's a winter warmer strong beer festival outdoors in the parking lot um, Fire pits, food, food, beer, and people show up. People like, at its at its core, people like to have a good time and get together and socialize and be happy. Yeah. And these festivals and events can uh, provide that for them. The next one coming up in a week and a half, two weeks, is the Full Moon Festival mm. coming up at the uh, Bottle Works from 4 to 10 p.m. or something. And that is basically a hog roast mm. under the full moon mm. with bonfires and a chili cook-off with... Uh, five or six professional chefs and this year we've added in a um, I was gonna say home brewer chef a, a, a home chef uh, I don't know who has been chosen to do that yet did you guys submit your entries <laughs> no no I do I do make a chocolate peanut butter chili though mm. it's pretty nice mm. 
Totally should have added that to the uh, the lineup. Well, to look for next year. Nice. So Art Outside is a festival that uh, Sarah was tasked with helping create by uh, Dan Kopman mm-hmm. way back when uh, the St. Louis Art Festival um, made it prohibita- prohibitive for us to uh, to join again. Um, mm-hmm. They chose another local brewery mm-hmm. way back when uh, we had been as part, we've been serving there at the St. Louis Art Festival in, uh, in Clayton, and mm-hmm. then it became really expensive, mm-hmm. and some other brewery took over. So Dan said, we'll start our own. And we'll vet and get uh, using a judging criterion to uh, um, to select the artwork um, done by competition. So uh, done by entry within 100, 150 miles or so. Um, so art outside, outdoor festival, art, culture, very successful. The artists love it. They sell a lot of goods. I think there are 60, 50 or 60 artists there each year. So... Uh, that's most of the festivals mm-hmm. I think we do. Oh, one of my favorites, Burns Night, late January, tap room, bagpipes, mm-hmm. uh, drums, kilts, not my kilt, but the tradition, I mean, you can wear your kilt. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's the one night of the year I should wear trousers. But I wear the kilt to lead the procession. Uh, haggis, scotch eggs, cockaliki soup, <laughs> shepherd's pie. Uh, Tom Schlafly stands on top of the bar and reads a poem. A couple verses change every year. He does not uh, He does not wade too much into controversial politics. He picks another subject to skewer, mm. makes fun of somebody that's Saturday Night Live or something. Uh, if you haven't been to that one, that's a ton of fun. Mm. This past year was uh, was great. And that'll be our 28th annual. Ah, it's crazy to think about. Wow. 28th annual Burns Night coming up in late January. I think I've never been to those. And it's kind of no. shame because you know, Guthrie is a, it's a noble Scottish clan. Yes. And we actually have our own tartan, like several tartans for diplomacy or battle and things like that. Yep. Several Guthrie castles in Scotland. Well, for all the, uh, for all the utilicals people listening, um, which is probably none, uh, they probably wouldn't mind if I said, look at the UT kilts website, because they have very affordable kilts. I haven't bought anything from them yet, but they've got some tartans on there that look totally uh, affordable. Nice. And probably cool. even out of your clan. So. Mm, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Now is the time before the end of January and the event is around the corner. Mm-hmm. It's not a requirement to wear a kilt there, but a lot of Fair people enough. do. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, you can wear your bathrobe if you want. Well, I can wear that little fuzzy crotch thing that you wear sometimes. You know, whatever. I can't remember what that is, but it's called. We're hardly halfway through a beer. How do we get to that subject? <laughs> <time? laughs> well, no, there's a little, little sort of hangy thing. It's usually in front. Oh, the sporing. That's, that's what called sporing. Fuzzy crotch thing. That's good. I'm going to have to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I went elsewhere. Sorry. <laughs> Let's all finish our beers. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, for both of you guys, you can answer this any order you like. When you think of the word successful, who comes to mind for you? Tom Schlafly. Yeah. Starting in Dan Kotman as the uh, co creator, co founder of Schlafly Beer. I mean, you can measure it by money. Um, hmm. People who are rich, are they successful? Uh, they've made a lot of money what they do, and maybe they've employed lots of people, but is everybody happy working for them at a fair wage and doing hmm. well? And are they truly happy? Is hmm. money buying them all that success? Hmm. I doubt it. Certainly not across the board. Hmm. That's no guarantee. Um, I think if you're happy with uh, what you've got in life, then you're successful. Roof over your head car to drive to work, or they should use public transportation people, bicycles, mm. things like that, mm. electric cars. Uh, 
you guys for doing We Eat Stuff. That's a success for the local community. Mm-hmm. Thank, you. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's, uh, it feels like it sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. There's yeah. <laughs> a change over time. Days are different. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody might have said this in a previous podcast, but the Dalai Lama seems to be somebody who has achieved great happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah? I, or you can pass. I'm going to pass. Okay. <laughs> no one's successful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm told there's just too many different things that could go off. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I hear I'm saying some people, some people are successful, I'm saying some people aren't successful, so I totally get that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, you know, is it really even a thing? Can it really? Can you ever really be rich? Can you ever really truly be successful? Or is it just things change and you know sometimes you have to change well, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel a little happier where you are in the hill. Sometimes that be in the other hill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't measure success by the biggest house and the most amount of money because mm. you, I mean, you may be happy with that and yeah. you're away from people and yeah. you have servants do everything or whatever. But if you're earning enough to share it with other people and raising other people up, yeah. to me, that's a measure of success. Yeah. And there are individuals who do that. I'd, I'd have a, a very short list and, and leave a whole lot of people off the list. So mm. best probably not to... Um, pick people out but uh, to me that's a measure of success well it seems to be St. Louis like St. Louis a lot other cities they're more cutthroat with the restaurant business they really try to seem to like you know steal each other's business try to you know be the absolute best and downgrade other people but here people help each other out they'll lend cooks when they need them they'll like you know do collaborations and like it's definitely different than like Chicago or New York or Los Angeles it seems like it's... I, have, I have heard that also I can't speak from experience in those other cities but I have seen it on display more times than I could possibly share. Um, and here comes a good sound, everybody. Oh yeah, I like the sound of that. And the white lager. Yep, excellent, good to share. White lager in the Lufest can. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now you're more of a actual, oh, sorry about that. No, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> no, 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 just like about Lufest, but and that hit a lot of people hard, but the way people reacted to that in St. Louis was amazing. So that ties in with what I was just describing of the uh, camaraderie, the fraternity, sorority, hmm. if you will, of uh, you need a word that describes both fraternity, sorority, I know. brother, um, sisterhood. No, there, there's like a word for that. Companionship, maybe. Affinity. Yeah. Affinity, camaraderie. I've seen it so many times. Uh, how well the uh, hmm. restaurant industry gets along okay. and shares with each other. Um, it's a true brotherhood, and we've had that in the uh, brewing industry. There are a lot of brewers who really get along well. I used to keep a list at the tap room. Um, who needs a cup of sugar? And it was simply a means of help me remember that I need to return that bag of grain when it comes in on the next shipment mm. to the brewer brewery that lent it to us because we were short or making a note that if we lend them, them something when it comes in on their order, just a reminder, return that to us, uh, made it easy. So the, uh, that affinity for helping each other out and that goes beyond the restaurant and brewery world in, in St. Louis. Everybody mm-hmm. sees that tying back into your uh, Lufest comment. But mm-hmm. uh, the uh, number of events, we went to the Boathouse event mm-hmm. that happened, uh, what was it called after the... Oh, uh, in Lufest? Well, there's a bunch of ones named different things. Yeah. Uh, like yeah I was... don't remember. There were so many. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, there were quite a few. And that shows the spirit that this community can mm-hmm. do. It's like... Yeah. Uh, the floods. Uh, I helped go sandbag in the flood of 93. Uh, God, my body was in pain after that. 
shoveling sand and filling the bags and schlepping bags of sand to build the uh, the walls, the flood walls. That's hard work. Mm-hmm. But people rally to do it. Mm-hmm. Selfless. I think selfless is probably a, a great term to, to describe that spirit yeah. around St. Louis. Mm. I agree. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, my next random question for you guys. You can pass on any of these. Is Do you guys have any uh, books that you have gifted a lot to people? Yes. Yes. Okay. Same. Uh, Real Food, What to Eat and Why by Nina Plank. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the book that got me to start Fair Shares. Uh, it was given to me by my sister's mother-in-law. And, um, it's it's a great book. It's a great read. And I'm not ready. Okay. I'll have that next up. So yeah, Real, Real Food is an amazing book. Is hmm. the last name P-L-A-N-K? P-L-A-N-C-K. Okay. Nina Plank. Okay. Oh, like the uh, measurements. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Plank ones. Yeah, she... Uh, she was a vegan, and she was involved with, I think she was living in London at the time or something, mm. involved with the mm. farmer's market there, and she was a vegan, and she just was not healthy at all, and she mm. started doing some research on real food versus what you get in the grocery store and how different it is, and um, another, the next one, kind of following that, was um, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. How old is that Plank book? Got to be 10 or 15 years old. Okay. Hmm. It's at least sense. 12. Okay. Not so about more. about the same age as the Pollen book? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, in that vintage. Opinion. And they were pretty formative books for us as we um, got heavily involved with slow food and uh, local food mm-hmm. business world. Um, mm-hmm. And tell us more about Fair Shares. How did that get started? Well, that got started because Stephen and I got invited to attend a slow food event in Italy called Terra Madre and we were going it, it's a it was the first one and it was in 2004 and it was uh, the it was a world meeting of food communities and we were going as a community of brewers so we went and we stayed in this little town uh, in um, Piemonte and near Torino, the event was in Torino. Mm-hmm. We stayed in this little town called Doliani, and we had been studying our Italian, or maybe that got us interested in studying mm-hmm. our Italian. Mm-hmm. But uh, we went, and every day we took a bus ride two hours from the event to where we were staying at a little mm-hmm. winery. We were mm-hmm. staying with a number of other brewers and and farmers from North America, and. We spent two hours on a bus every day with these people and after it was the first bus ride that we got in the bus, we're all sitting there and we're waiting, waiting, and waiting and suddenly all the food started coming out. All these people brought (laughs) food from their homes or whatever that they were sharing and then we found a guy, we ran up the street and got a bottle of wine and some beers to share and it was like that Mm. happened every night and then... It, we were meeting with the Italians. We would have dinners, and they would, they had this big, long table set up, and it was just this most amazing community food mm-hmm. and drink event. And we were so intrigued with the passion that all the farmers had and um, 
So when we got back to St. Louis, we got involved with the local slow food chapter. It was called Convivium at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just one woman who hadn't, she wasn't really on wine yet. And there was, it was just a small little tiny thing. And we kind of brought it to the next level. And we started an event called Lamstravaganza. And it's... Lamstravaganza, a feast in the field. It was held at Prairie Grass Farms way out in New Florence. Mm -hmm. We're on exit 179 off 70, Dave and Barb Hillebrand's farm. Mm -hmm. Probably had about 50 people at the dinner, one mm -hmm. big long table in the field. It was genuinely a feast in the field. Kind and of based on one what chef. our events were like in, in Italy. Mm -hmm. And so we, as we got involved with that, I got more and more interested. We, we joined a CSA um, and with my sister, Stephen and my sister and I split this CSA share and it was, the pickup was at uh, Maplewood Bottle Works, the Bottle Works, the Maplewood Market. Mm -hmm. And there we would buy all of our food from the other farmers and we'd add meat and the eggs and the cheese and we'd get our vegetable share. And my sister and I thought, we were trying to run a business together at the time anyway, and we decided it would be really fun to do something where we could get lots of different farmers food all together and put together a CSA share that included all of that so mm. the people who couldn't make it to the farmers markets could mm. get these really get really good food and so we started that and uh, we're still at it and we're in our 11th season mm. Wonderful. nice yeah one more tiny detail of that when we had the uh, CSA come October November and the CSA wasn't around anymore we had to rely on the usually every other week or monthly winter markets. One was at Bottle Works, one was at St. John's Episcopal Church. And that was good, but we thought, this isn't really enough. And after the second year, Sarah and Jamie started talking to the farmers to say, could you uh, provide more stuff year-round with the hoop houses and winter growing and everything? And that led to the plan for fair shares to be put together so that it could happen more or less year-round. So back to the books. Sure. Sure, yes. You, Long time ago, Les Miserables. I was not able to read uh, it in the original French because I don't know French. Mm. Not that well, anyway. Mm. Uh, pretty incredible book. I'm, I'm not a... Uh, I don't go see a lot of musicals. I've seen the Les Miserables, but reading the book was pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And Conversations with God. I haven't read those books in a while, mm. but there's a three or four part series there that was, uh, it was pretty remarkable. I want to hear from you guys. Tell us about when you were going out in St. Louis to eat or drink. Tell us about some particular dishes or meals or beers or cocktails you've had that you think people ought to know about. Uh, and they can be in the past, too. Let's think. Or, Take well, your time. Uh, since we've been doing, since Sarah and Jamie started Fair Shares 11 years ago, our restaurant visits have probably been on the decline a little more, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, because there's so much great stuff out there. I have a um, lot of rotting food to eat. Fair enough. I understand enough. that, yeah. It's too much food in my refrigerator. Um, one tiny semi-related uh, anecdote is the uh, pickup truck I had during my last year of urchin diving. Um, I drove out here in October of 1991, and I still drive it every week for fair share. So it's a 28-year-old mm. pickup truck. Wow. And a year or two after... The taproom opened. This guy named Fraser Cameron and his girlfriend Kim uh, decided to open a restaurant and got a building. And he used that pickup truck 
a lot to Halsta to open Fraser's Traveling Brown Bag, as its original name once was. Mm -hmm. It was a lunch place, great food. I have a ton, I think we both have a ton of good food memories of specific dishes, mm. which Sarah can elaborate on more than I can. Uh, and that was just really fun. And to watch it evolve to what it's become now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And not just singling out Fraser because um, Sarah lived in the same house as Fraser and Kim did, and, and he used. Uh, my truck to get Fraser's going, but the food was just remarkably good. Bacon and different. cauliflower linguine, mm, and the good. salmon, mm. the salmon, it was like a... Like a peanut? Crushed peanut? It was like almond encrusted mm. salmon, and it had a horseradish mm. in there too, it was awesome. I think he still has that on the menu. And the muffaletta. And the muffaletta was yeah. really awesome too. Great menu then, great menu now, uh, yeah. and surrounded by so many. We would we would be remiss to miss some amazing ones, mm -hmm. uh, as you know. But Sydney Street is one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kevin Ashen is just one of the most amazing mm -hmm. chefs in Ooh. the city. We need to go there more often. We actually got invited out one time and just loved everything. Especially this had the, uh, mm -hmm. was it Oxtail? I think it was, or was I it the Beef know. Cheeks? Can't Wait, when you said you got invited out, did yeah. somebody else pick up the tab? Oh, eat all you want then. That would be, <laughs> that would be great. No, it basically was a tasting menu. We got to try a lot of these. This one chilled beet dish. It was like this beet puree. It, just, it was just so... Ooh. It's delicious and yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of Stone Soup Cottage when we finally went there several wow. years ago, partly because of the uh, uh, presentation. Um, and if uh, those guys are listening sometime mm. to this, they can know that they... They're doing it right, but mm. haven't been to the new place. So that's how long it's been since we've been there. Yeah. It was a bunch of years ago. It was in their previous location. Oh, wow. And I was dazzled with mm. the uh, presentation of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, not only was the food and wine pairings uh, just absolutely perfect, but that would be, for many of us, a splurge kind of place. Right. And, uh, and hard to get into. I mean, you have to plan in advance. Mm. Not open all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, just a great way to do a menu. Me, personally, I would love to go to a restaurant and just sit down and have the food arrive. I don't need to pick and choose from a hundred different mm. things on the menu. Like, what have you got? What's in season? What have you been made to happen? I don't have, fortunately, peanut allergies or super strong dislikes. So mm. um, open to lots of things, mm. true omnivore in that yeah. regard. Yeah. I'm kind of a food snob now. and <laughs> I, Well, I only, I one of the reasons that I wanted to start fair shares is I wanted to support not just the local growers and, oh. and producers I got some oh. but happy meat you know I that was the whole the, the Nina Plank book that I mentioned real food mm. what to eat and why she talks about industrial meat versus you know small local mm. farmers and how yeah. they grow um, pastured it's so important like what the food chain is such a big thing, and what these animals eat before we eat them, and like, it's I so I just don't eat out unless I know that the meat mm. that they have is happy meat. And mm. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I just don't go out as, to eat as much as I used to or would like to, and the, all the places that we would be able to go to eat is they're all serving the same food from the same farmers I buy from, and they're all really expensive. So like, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a yeah. there's many do source. Limit. Many do source locally and yeah. uh, practice what they uh, preach of being green and stuff. So there are, you can find it more and more are doing that. There's there's a lot of greenwashing out there. You have to be careful. You have to know what you're actually getting. Yeah. Um, I'm not just saying this because it's my employer, but if you haven't had the muscles at the tap room 
you're missing out on one of the more extraordinary dishes in St. Louis, and other restaurants probably do a good job of them. I haven't found it yet, not even mm. traveling, uh, even in mm. a, a visit to Seattle where seafood reigns supreme. <laughs> I stacked the, uh, the mussels on the menu, and there are four or five different varieties. I like the plain ones better, but mm. all the uh, mussels mm. that are available at the tap room are stellar. And shuck them all out, eat half, take some home. I can't eat that whole dish at once. It's uh, all in one setting. The burger has changed there. It is absolutely delicious. Pretty much everything the Bottle Works has, with its emphasis on uh, supporting the uh, local farmers, because it hosts the weekly uh, Wednesday uh, farmer's market, and, and, grows, garden, yeah. and grows a huge amount, ton, literally tons, thousands of pounds mm. of food mm. come out of that garden, composted there. We cool. support... Uh, uh, St. Louis composting, Castillo mm-hmm. composting, Earth, it's not Earth Circle, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, so lots of it goes mm-hmm. back into the uh, into that loop. And mm-hmm. one of the best desserts, hands down, in the city of St. Louis, the STP, known as Sticky Toffee Pudding, um, on the menu <laughs> of both Taproom and Bottle Works. Mm-hmm. And for a while, it was the it was the only similar item on both menus. The mm-hmm. menus were completely different. So if you haven't had STP and an oatmeal or Imperial Stout, Mm. Put it on the list. Nice. Make it dinner. Top one hundred <laughs> top one hundred and one things people should do in St. Louis. Nice. Mm. Cool. I let's see, I, I'm gonna wrap up a little bit with some ending questions for you guys, but I wanna say one fun thing I have going on actually at the tap room in the next month. So I sing in a group called the St. Louis Chamber Chorus. Mm. Uh I'm a I'm a choral singer and we are actually having a choir concert at the tap room. In oh, about a month, and it is all drinking themed. Yay! So yeah, it's, he's a great come. Show. Yeah. it's a great yeah. show. I he's hope we can come. make it. It's it's very entertaining. When is Ticket that? sold out already? Probably because it's a it's a smaller venue, yep. the second floor than most yep. of the places we usually perform. But we'll yeah. just dress like the staff. Yeah, there you go. We're here to serve. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just the, it's a second Sunday in November, so thirteenth, I think. Oh, November thirteenth or fourteenth, something like that. But. Yeah, so that's what I will be visiting the tap room shortly. Uh, you mean like, what should we do with the drunken sailor? And, uh, well, like maybe, songs that like, might be an encore. Well, there's <laughs> a song about grapes called "These Are God's Bottles." Yes. And it's about you know wine making. <laughs> these are this is how's it go out? Remember how the song goes? Uh, but... It's like well, it's about apples and grapes. Apples are God's bottles, but we will not drink from the glass bottles. We're going to drink from God's bottles. So, so it's <laughs> sort of sort of like a. You know, Pur- Puritan sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure where the text is from, mm. but it, it's very cute. Yes. Well, you chose the right venue for uh, singing a bunch of drinking songs. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. This is uh, we did it about six years ago, and there's been a lot of calling for it to be revised. Okay. Was it six years ago? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Really? It was, yes. Wow. I know. Heck. Yep. I'm old now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yep. I know. That happened. It sneaks up on you. Um. So tell people. If they want to visit you guys in person, online, for art, for beer, for all the fun stuff, where can they find you guys? Ladies first. Fairshares.org is my business. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook, Fairshares. The usual social media, Fairshares. Fairshares, CCSA, which stands for Combined Mm. CSA. Community supported agriculture. Okay. Mm. Um, and to do a trial, two week trial share, you would end up going to 5021 Northrop. Mm. Um, pretty much everyone around here knows where the U Haul is on Kings Highway by 
uh, Interstate 44. Yes. It's due west, sort of behind that, and the uh, quick trip, and a little. Cool. We don't encourage people just to show up because we're not always there, and we have weird hours, and it's fair enough. So an email is always best. Okay. Sarah at fairshares.org is the way to contact me. Cool. Okay. Great. And Sarah Hale Art. Had a bunch of uh, drawings, oh, figure drawings to sell. I have lots of figure drawings. I can cool. <laughs> Need to have that art show. Hmm. Fire sale. <laughs> may, uh, you can find Stephen Hale in the 100% electric smart car wrapped with the Schlafly logo that I wish were parked outside. We brought a different car today, but I drive around the uh, region in that car to visit accounts a lot. So, mm. And there's a plug-in station at the... Shafi Taproom at 21st and Locust, oh, where there it is. I keep cool. a desk. Yep. Mm. You have an electric car? Oh, uh, we've thought about such a thing, but it's always about like the convenience of it and you know, where you can charge it. So. Yep. Yeah. Charge it at work. Don't charge it at home. Mm. Use, the, use work's electricity. Gotcha. Mm. Fair yeah. enough. The uh, Schlafly Bottle Works is at 7260 Southwest <clears throat> Avenue in Maplewood, on the east end of Maplewood, where Southwest and Manchester meet, diverge. Mm. So, uh, those are the two physical locations. Schlafly Beer is in 13 states plus Washington, D.C. Um, Schlafly.com. Festivals galore. Mm-hmm. Um, here in your house. Well, look at all the Schlafly Beer. It's yeah. probably a bar. Yeah. It is. Oh, you should look back we have a bar. there. Yes. <laughs> we eat well, stuff, we drink stuff. Oh, we do. In we fact, that's one, of, that's one of our hashtags. We drink stuff STL. Mm-hmm. Even thought making a separate account for it, but it's like, yeah, eh, no need, no need. Yeah. One's enough. One's definitely enough. Yeah. Uh, so then, my last question for you guys before we sign off: Do you have any final asks, requests, recommendations for the folks listening? Anything at all? To me, the big request is always support local. Um, when you travel, look for local. I mean, if you're traveling in. Schlafly's territory, you can buy a Schlafly beer in New York City or Chicago or Virginia or something. Sure, that would be a good experience because we haven't done that before. But we always ask people to support local because it makes the community what it is. And do the right, is this our, is this it? I mean, this is our one chance to tell the world <coughs> what to do and how to do it and be kind to each other. Unless we have well, you buy something they turn out, but so go ahead anyway. Right, okay. <laughs> Kindness is the greatest force in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, or as Mike Prokoff, our former bartender manager, used to say, kill them with kindness. Mm. Like, you're not going to make an upset customer happy by getting upset with them. So, But it might feel really good. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. what you want to do and what you know you need to do, right. Yeah, exactly. You have to break that down a little bit. But That's why I'm not in customer service. You could do it. I'm sure you could do it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yes. So I'm going to say the... Eat, not just support your local, support your local everything. Support your local artists mm. and store owners mm. and farmers. I think knowing where your food came from is really important. I mean, don't you want to know who else touched your food? Mm. And uh, I think asking in restaurants, so what's local? Or where does your meat come from? That's how you get more local into the restaurants. Mm. They're not going to buy it. If they don't think the farmer, mm. if they don't think the consumer cares about it, but if people ask for it, mm. they're gonna they're gonna have to start sourcing it. Here, here, mm-hmm. great. One more thing. Yeah. I don't know if everyone would be happy to hear this, but I think at some point I just have to petition the Missouri legislature to 
require that we all take written and driving tests again because God, what has happened to people driving? It's gotten bad lately. It's, it yeah. has. There are more cars on the road. You rarely see multiple mm. occupants in a vehicle. It's you usually one. I drive the little smart car by myself to visit accounts. I get it, and we should use more public transportation. And my bike is at the brewery. I rode once last week, but uh, come on, people, give way a little bit and. Yeah. I don't know. There's no simple answer. Autonomous vehicles might help, but that's a long way away. Yeah. And, I don't know, Take learn driver's ed. Like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Don't go too slowly. You know, don't drive like a maniac, but uh, it's frustrating. There's a happy medium. I want to just stay off the road, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So. Agreed. All right. Sarah. Now let's open some wine and talk about other things, right? We'll, we'll do that. Yes, yeah. Sarah, right. Stephen. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank Pleasure. you, Christine. Thank you, Thank you yes. Charles. Fabulous. Thank you. Thanks, Thank everyone, you. for listening. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. I'm Christine Guthrie with We Eat Stuff, and this has been another episode of We Eat Stuff and Talk About Things. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. I would also like to encourage everyone to join our Patreon page which you can find at patreon.com slash weeatstuff. There, you can become a sponsor of this podcast and all the work we do and be rewarded with cool stuff. We appreciate your support. Please join us next week for another conversation. But in the meantime, go out there and eat stuff. Bye.